I want to talk about what moves you. What moves you? You see, sometimes in the Christian community, um, it can become so tricky to remember why it is that we do what we do. And I've found myself several times in my life going, what is it that moves me? What moves me in my relationship with Christ? What moves me to have a heart for evangelism? What moves me to reach other people? What moves me and what motivates me to read God's word? What motivates me to grow? What moves me as a follower of Christ? And you see, I think that in our society and in our culture, we get misguided in what moves us. And some of the things in culture that, um, that we learn should and could and will move you are uh, the lust for money, the lust for fame, the lust for popularity, the, the challenge of being successful, uh, the, the challenge of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. All of these things move us in our culture and in our society. But the thing is, is as Christians, we're not supposed to be moved by any of those things. We're not supposed to be moved by any of those things. In fact, um, God's word, as we're going to look at today, it tells us that we're supposed to be moved by one thing and one thing only, and that is God's love. God's love. Now, it's funny to hear me, big guy up here, ex-middle linebacker, talking about God's love. But let me tell you, followers of Christ, you Christians, you little Christ. We are called, we are called to be moved by God's love and God's love alone. Our motivation in life is not seeing how many high school students we can get into this room. Our motivation in life is not seeing the students at your high school come to Christ so that we can get a big name for ourselves. But we are moved by God's love, by the love that he has for us, by the love that he's called us to have for others. And you should be moved by that very same thing. You see, I don't want you to start to think, oh, we're doing all this eight great weeks. I could win a flat screen TV. Well, whoop-de-doo. Who cares? I don't care about a flat screen TV. I think it's cool. I want you to win it. But I want you to bring your friends deep down on the inside because you love them. Because you want to see them experience a relationship with Christ that will move them to loving others. All right, we're going to open up God's Word. Very good. I love it. And we're going to read from 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Bring it next week, please. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. This will not be on the screen because I'm going to read it to you and talk about it. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or his sister or her sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Listen to me, young people. God's word says that anything, anything but love for others, anything but love for others, love of self, greed, selfishness, Desire for yourself, anything but love for other people is darkness to God. Isn't that confounding and challenging that God says, look, if you love anything but me, and if you're moved by anything but my love for you and my love for other people, then you are in the darkness. You're in the darkness. In you, there's no light. You're separated from God. He even says at the end, 
Whoever hates his brother or his sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They have no idea where they're going because they're blind. You see, sometimes I believe that we as Christians, we're walking around in this world going, yeah, I love Jesus. Hey, man, get out of my lane. Hey, man, you cut me off. Hey, that girl talked bad about me. Hey, that girl's wearing the same shirt as me. How dare her do that? Hey, that dude took my position on the basketball team. Hey, that person got the credit when I'm the one who did all the work. Man, and God's word says, look, if that's the way you live, then you're blind. You're like a person walking in a dark room with all kind of obstacles there and having no idea what you're walking into. You're a fool. But the cool thing is, is that God's word... God's word is so cool that it offers us. It offers us a different way. It offers us an option. It gives us the opportunity to know how God wants us to live and how he desires for us to love. How he wants us to be moved. It reminds me of this story about a, a, a very, very wealthy Dutch diamond merchant who was in search of this one very famous million-dollar diamond. And he couldn't find one anywhere. And finally, a salesperson contacted him and said, I've been working on this for two years, but I found the diamond that you're looking for. Would you like to come see it? So he traveled all the way to New York, where this jeweler was, and he sat down with this, this salesperson in the diamond store, and he looked over this diamond, and it was beautiful, and it was everything he had hoped that it would be every bit as valuable as he knew that it would be worth a million dollars. And the salesperson was, was telling him all about this diamond, every scientific factoid, all of the measurements, the clarity, the quality, everything about this diamond, things you or I would not care to know about a diamond. And this Dutch diamond collector looked at the salesperson and said, it's, it's beautiful, but I, I just don't know if it's exactly what I'm looking for. The owner of the diamond store came in. He said, oh, hold on a second. Would you mind if we could sit down and talk about this diamond? And the owner of the diamond store just grabbed the diamond, and, and he began to describe all of the qualities of this diamond. He began to describe how beautiful it was, how good it looked, how awesome and magnificent it was. And the diamond collector, his heart began to change, and he said, you know, you're right. This is what I'm looking for. I want this diamond. And in a silly series of events, kind of laughing, said to the diamond store owner, why, why am I buying this million-dollar diamond from you when I wouldn't buy it from your salesperson? And the diamond store owner said, you know, that salesperson is the very, very best salesperson in the world for diamonds. He knows more about diamonds than any other person in the whole world. I pay him more than any other diamond salesman makes in the whole world. He is the best at what he does. But he said, if there is one thing I would give him, if there was one thing that I have that he lacks, it's that he knows everything about diamonds, but I love diamonds. <laughs> I love them. I love them. And when I begin to look at a diamond, all of the love that I have for that diamond comes out of me. And you're inspired by that. You're moved by the things that I love about this diamond. And in the same way, young people, 
Just knowing, just knowing that we're supposed to love others, just knowing that God has called us to love people, that's not enough. Because any third grader knows the Bible answer, Jesus. And we're supposed to love other people. My mommy told me we do. We're supposed to love other people. But just knowing that that's the truth, just knowing that that's what God's word says, doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it. You actually have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to love other people the way that the owner of the diamond store loved this diamond. It's a challenge. It's difficult. All right, flipping over to uh, 1 John chapter 4 this time. Chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you know God? Do you know God? Seems like a simple enough question, and most people would probably say, yeah, I know God, sure. But the question according to verse 7 is, do you love other people? Do you love other people? Because in verse 7 it says, let us love one another, for the love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, and they know God. Verse 8 goes on to say, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Listen to me, young people. God is the very essence of love. It is his character in summation. It is his character in summation. And it goes on in chapter 2, a couple of verses earlier, to say that if you want to, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to live a life for Christ, then you have to walk the way that he walked. And Jesus, when he was on this earth, fired everybody up. Why? Because he loved everybody. The worst tax collectors, like Zacchaeus, he said, look, come out of the tree because I'm coming to your house and we're going to hang out. Prostitutes, Jesus, they would stop him in the street. And the Pharisees, the righteous ones, were standing over there going, what's he going to do? This is going to be bad. And Jesus loved the prostitute. He loved the sinners. And he's challenging us to love people exactly the same way. There's another story uh, about a well-to-do church. In the suburbs, in this church, every single year, man, the body at this church, they would give $3 million every year, annual giving. Boy, they would just give their money, and as time went, this church, this church grew, and it was successful, and it was well-to-do. But then after a while, the surrounding community kind of began to go downhill, and, and uh, you, could, you could find homeless people on the streets, and it, it just, town wasn't as nice. People didn't keep it up as well. So the people at this little church started to kind of build their hedges and build their walls, protecting themselves in any way they could. You know, well, we got to keep these beggars off of our church campus, you know, whatever we do. And they hired a new pastor, and this young pastor comes in, and he's this great guy, and it's the first week on the job. And Sunday morning, they have all their very nice, expensive pastries out on the table. Everybody's enjoying those pastries, and all the old women are out there, you know, helping to serve, and doing these different things, and pretty soon, uh, the, the young pastor and all of the ladies uh, just kind of get startled a little bit as this one homeless guy kind of creaks through the crack in the fence, and he walks through, and he just kind of is sneaking along and hoping no one will see him, hoping no one will say anything, and walks up to those nice, expensive pastries that only the well-to-do church could afford, and he starts to stuff a couple in his pockets. As he stuffs them in his pockets, the old lady comes to the new pastor with their elbows like, hey, you got to do something. This is trouble. 
you got to do something right now. And the young pastor turns around and goes, okay. He walks over and he pulls the empty boxes out from under the table that had the pastries in it. And he takes all the pastries and he begins to put them back into the boxes. And he loads up the boxes and he, he takes them and he gives them to the homeless guy and says, here you go. We're here every single Sunday. Come back next week. We'll be here. You see, the reality is, young people, that the world needs you. The world needs you, and not because of what you have to offer, not because you're so cool, although you do have a lot to offer, and you are so cool, but really the world needs you because the love of God is living inside you, and if you've made your heart his home, it's all you can do to let him come into your life and then work through you. God wants to use you to reach your friends for Christ. That's all there is to it. Verses 9 and 10. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Listen to me, young people. We talked about this at Christmas. The reality is that God being perfect, God being perfect, the real miracle the real miracle in the story of salvation for us is that God was perfect and his son Jesus lived through the very same temptation that we lived through. But yet he was willing to come to the earth and live a perfect life. Live a perfect life and have no sin. But then at the end of the day, he was willing and ready to sacrifice it all for you. This is how you know that God loves you because he gave his son Jesus Christ for you on the cross. He said, this is how you know that God loves you. Listen to me, I don't have any kids. <laughs> I don't have any kids yet. I'm not a dad yet. But let me tell you right now, the second I have a kid, some of you have heard me use this illustration before, the second I have a kid and that kid is standing on my right hand side and there's a big old bus speeding towards my kid and you're standing on my left side, and there's a big bus speeding towards you, and I have to make a decision in a split second about who to save, no offense, love you, but I'll see you in heaven, because <laughs> I'm going to rescue my kid. But God, who was perfect, God who created each and every one of us, God who breathed breath into you, and you became a living soul, he was standing in the middle of the road that he created on this earth. In all of creation, every single one of us were standing on this side with a giant colossal bus speeding towards us. And then on the other side, his perfect son who had never once sinned. Although being God, although having the same qualities as God, did not desire to be equal to God, humbled himself before the Father, was standing on the left with a bus speeding towards him. And you know what he did? He came over and he rescued you. He rescued you from the pain and the sorrow and the death that comes from sin. And he allowed his only son to endure the cost of our sin. He chose us. He chose us 
over his perfect son because he loves us. Verse 10, it says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Make no mistake about it. The only reason we can love is because we've experienced God's love. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen to me, the Bible makes it clear that if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you say, I've experienced the love of God, I know what God has done for me, praise the Lord, Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin, I know about his love, then you ought to be moved you ought to be moved and compelled by that fact to love other people. Now, I realize I'm being general, but let's get a little bit specific for a second. That means that you ought to be compelled to love that kid in your school who, who does not know how to dress. They don't know how to dress. They wear plaid to school every single day. Guess what? You ought to love them. That means the kid in your school who has absolutely no friends, guess what? You ought to love them. That means the kid in your school who dresses in all black and they're gothic and they wear makeup. That means that you ought to love them enough, love them enough to befriend them. Love them enough to bring them to, bring them to hear about Jesus Christ. Let's get literal for a second. The kid in your class who is your rival, the one who steals some of your thunder. God calls you to humble yourself before him and to love that person more than yourself. And the Bible says that just, just as he was willing to give up his son as a sacrifice for us, that's the way that we're supposed to love other people. I hate these verses. Because <laughs> I'm convicted. Because I live my life and it's all about me and what I need and what I want and who I'm supposed to be. But the Bible says no. Just like Jesus gave up his life for us, we should be willing to give it up for other people. Verse 12, and in closing, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let me challenge you this morning, young people. If the world is ever going to hear about Jesus Christ, if they're ever going to hear about our God, if they're ever going to believe that Jesus is who he said he was and who we say he is, they won't hear it first from our lips. They'll see it because God's word says God's love is made complete in our lives for the world to see. And the world is looking and waiting and dying to see a Savior living in us. But if we don't know how to love other people, if we don't know how to love one another, they'll never see it. We're robbing the world of the opportunity to experience Jesus Christ. The challenge this morning, young people, is how will you respond? How will you respond to this message? Check yourself. What changes do you need to make? Who have you not been loving that you need to love? Will you do anything about it? Will you walk out the door and just continue to live the same life that you've been living forever and ever? All about you. Or did you come here today and did God speak to you and challenge you with his love for other people? 
You see, God doesn't want a bunch of kids who come and sit and just listen and receive and take in. He wants ones who understand the Great Commission, who say, God has called me to go into this world, into my school, into my group of friends, and to love people to Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. We're done, and then we're going to dismiss. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true, God. Thank you that, God, that your love moves us, that it changes us. God, without you, we have nothing. We're just desperate and desolate and alone. But God, you're ready to do a work. You're ready to work miracles, God, because you want to show the world about yourself through us, through the love that we have for one another and for other people. God, I pray that you wouldn't let this message go in one year and out the other year, God, but that you would use it to make radical changes in the way that we treat other people. It's in your name. All God's